We are the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler alert for everything Star Wars under the Twin Suns. The question is what choice? Rebellions are built on hope. Make ten men feel like a hundred. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. Hello everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, one of my goals I made this year was to watch all of the Bond films starting with Dr. No and going up until No Time to Die. And I have one more Roger Moore film to watch. I believe it's A View to a Kill. But when I watched Moonraker, someone mentioned that it was kind of the 007 series response to Star Wars. And I was like, guess what? I have a Star Wars podcast and nothing would make me happier than to make my friend Brian make mm. make him watch Moonraker. So how are you doing today, Brian? Absolutely. I am doing I'm doing great. Uh, watching all of the James Bond films is a noble goal to have for a year because there's a lot of them. Uh, I don't even know how many, like 28, 27. I don't know. There's there's a bunch. And yeah, you are making it through the Roger Moore ones. There were a lot of Roger Moore, uh, James Bonds and yeah, when you told me that you'd watch Moonraker, we were talking a little bit about it uh, kind of over in Discord uh, chats about uh, Moonraker and uh, how it kind of turned into this thing. It was based on the book, but the book is way different, and then it took on uh, kind of some Star Wars inspirations. So, you know, Inspired a Galaxy seemed like a good fit to chat about this very divisive entry in the James Bond franchise. Yeah, sometimes one galaxy inspires another galaxy, you know? Absolutely. Uh, space you know, the final frontier. So my first Bond film I saw in theaters was Quantum of Solace. Did you grow up with the Bond films? Yeah, so James Bond was something that I I, I grew up with uh, pretty much. Like, I was never, like, a diehard James Bond fan, but it was something that uh, definitely we'd watch. Um, uh, James Bond always seemed to be, like, on... I think like TBS was the station, so we'd watch those, like, Sunday matinees. Like, uh, my dad and I would watch what watch James Bond and it wasn't really ever in any kind of particular order it was just whatever way they kind of uh, were coming out and then uh, about the time I was getting into like like middle school and and into high school that was when uh, Pierce Brosnan's James Bond was uh, coming back so GoldenEye was like this huge film and uh, the video game obviously so I've been kind of more into James Bond I guess since then but yeah I grew up watching them uh, with my dad on Sunday matinees so it's always been you know kind of a, a part of my life um, you know at least peripherally you know just spending time with him watching those movies and that was who I watched uh, Moonraker with. Uh, they were in town visiting, so it was like uh, it was like going back to my childhood, uh, watching one of the old ones with my dad. Aww, yeah. Like I grew up aware of James Bond, but I didn't really uh, watch watch the Pierce Brosnan ones. But I was always aware, like that was the best Nintendo sixty four game uh, was GoldenEye, and like all of the James Bond uh, games they had. Uh, but yeah, Quantum of Solace was my way in, and then I ended up watching all of the Daniel Craig ones, and uh, I kind of got into all things Bond, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get some of this 007 perfume, some some car swag, and I decided <laughs> yeah. to just watch them all. Um, and I mean, there's lots of Star Wars films, like 11 or 12, depending on like if you include like the Clone Wars movie that came out in theaters you know mm -hmm. um 
but I think there's like 25 official Bond films and then like there's even a couple unofficial ones and so yeah uh it's a it's a little bit of a hefty goal so I'm glad that we can incorporate it into this podcast though yeah, absolutely. It is it is a hefty goal, and um, like you said, anytime you have kind of these big, long running uh, franchises, uh, you know, like like James Bond, like Star Wars, uh, obviously they're going to kind of influence uh, one another and kind of the the direction that they're going, and uh, you know, the way they're telling the story. Because you know, we're we're talking a little bit more specifically about Moonraker, which came out in 1979, but you know, Star Wars had just been out in 1977 and kind of changed the landscape for what you know, movies were expected to do then, right? You had, uh, you know, kind of your action-adventure films. I think, you know, Moonraker, I think, was like the 11th James Bond movie, something like that. Um, yeah. But, but you know, the way the way that movies worked and the movie going public, you know, completely changed in 1977. And there were a lot of, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say knee-jerk reactions, but a lot of, you know, movie studios and movie makers, you know, trying to trying to cash in and kind of ride that Star Wars wave and uh, definitely can can see some of that here uh, in Moonraker. Yeah. And I was joking, you know, about math earlier and I was like 007 plus Star Wars equals Moonraker because we both love math so much. So <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Love some math. Love some math for sure but yeah it definitely um it does 007 and star wars uh does equal moonraker so um you know not to we're not gonna like trudge through through the whole of moonraker uh that's gonna be for uh, everyone at home listening to to go out and search that out i think it's available on hbo if you want to uh fire it up and watch it but um yeah there's there's definitely definitely some uh some parallels in there because moonraker was a story it was you know it was one of the um the one of the original books from James Bond, but uh, the movie telling of the story is very different and very much inspired uh, by this, you know, space opera uh, that we'd just gotten from George Lucas. I think it included like a few character names in the title and that's basically, you know, like what they took from the book. So, uh, but I hear like the, the reception for the book uh, was, fans seem to like it and they're like, oh, they didn't quite make it into a movie, but you know, sometimes that's not how it works out, you know, but what I was impressed with is like Moonraker's production cost. It was like 34 million US dollars, um, mm-hmm. which was like more than twice as much as the preceding film, The Spy Who Loved Me, that came out in 1977. And I think they were still paying off like what like what they spent on Moonraker until like some of the Timothy Dalton films, but I think it does look you know uh, really good. And it was actually nominated. Moonraker was nominated uh, for best visual effects uh, at the Oscars. So, and it was also like until uh, Goldeneye, it was the like most successful bond films so they did spend a lot of money but they did make a lot of money yeah absolutely they did spend a lot of money and it it does look pretty good i mean obviously it got the the nomination there for the oscar but um you get a lot of um 
you know, kind of travel locales, you know, if you're familiar with the James Bond series at all, you know, that he's always going, you know, kind of kind of globetrotting to these different exotic destinations. So in this one, what we're in, we're in England, obviously, um, spend some time in Italy, down to uh, Brazil, and then obviously the, the space stuff. And that's where kind of these visual effects come in, because kind of the, the plot of the story is uh, they steal the space shuttle, which is uh, on its way from uh, the USA to England, I guess, for some sort of, uh, I don't know, like museum or science exhibit, some kind of thing. They steal the space shuttle, um, and it turns into this uh, laser blast festival. But yeah, the the stuff in this movie, you know, it, it looked really good, obviously, you know, with uh, Star Wars kind of paving the way, um, industrial light and magic, you know, on, on what could be done, um, you know, to that scale and things like that. So you had stuff like, um, like this, like Moonraker, um, you know, stuff like uh, Star Trek, you know, we're kind of capturing and uh, using those ideas and techniques that uh, Lucasfilm had uh, developed to tell its story. So, yeah, it looks really great, the space station uh, sections, I think. Yeah, I think, like, it was, like, the largest set ever built for a Bond film, that final, like, uh, space station, and it looks really good. They achieved some really cool effects, like, where they kind of had artificial gravity, and then, like, for some of the parts, they were floating, so... Mm-hmm. It does look nice. So, yeah, absolutely. We're um we're talking you know kind of a, about Moonraker, but just uh, more generally, uh, James Bond and Star Wars. So James Bond has uh, always been filmed at Pinewood Studios, and they actually um, kind of set aside a specific stage um, for James Bond. It was uh, originally made in 1976, and it's been through a couple of iterations. There was a fire, I think, at one point, so they had to rebuild it and then rebuild it again. Um, but Star Wars actually, um, since the Disney acquisition. Um, have been using Pinewood Studios as well. Disney has a contract with Pinewood. So uh, now we have all of the James Bond films and all of the uh, Star Wars films and productions being filmed in the same location. Yeah, that's why we got the Daniel Craig as a Stormtrooper cameo in uh, The Force Awakens. And he's the one that uh, Ray tries a mind trick on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's just kind of a, a neat, um, you know, kind of crossover there, you know, on the the behind the scenes stuff. Um, but some other, uh, one of the other behind the scenes things that I thought was really interesting is uh, basically they, um, you know, they finished The Spy Who Loved Me uh, with Roger Moore. And then kind of next up on, on the docket was For Your Eyes Only, but they decided to push that one back and bring Moonraker in because, you know, really wanted to, to get into get into space and see you know, how much money they could have and, you know, ultimately ended up uh, paying off for him because, as you mentioned, Cassia, you know, becoming the uh, highest grossing Bond film until uh, until GoldenEye, you know, almost uh, two decades later, almost. So Yeah, it, it paid off monetarily. Like, it was kind of a mixed critical reaction, but I don't know. Do you think James Bond should go to space or do you think he should stay on Earth? <laughs> Um, I think uh, if uh, James Bond wants to go to space, then uh, James Bond could go to space, I guess. Um, I I don't know. I, I like my characters uh, a wee bit more uh, grounded, but um, especially kind of through this period of James Bond, the Roger Moore James Bond, they were very much more uh, fantastical. Um, but it reminds me of uh, a quote from Ben Affleck, and I'm kind of paraphrasing uh, this here, but when he was... Uh, on set for Armageddon, he asked the director, wouldn't it have been easier to teach astronauts how to drill this meteor than teach, uh, you know, miners to become astronauts? But, um, but yeah, maybe James Bond, that's in his skill set. I guess James Bond has a license to kill and a license, maybe it, tra- it translates license to kill in space and on Earth both, I guess. 
yeah, you know, like he's probably a very good scientist as well. What about you? Do you do you think that uh, James Bond should go to space? Oh, <laughs> can he go to okay. space? <laughs> I, I, mean, I guess he can. I don't know. He did, but I kind of think like I never want to say never again, you know, but but oh, <laughs> but I kind of think it makes a little more sense like if you're going to save the world like stick to the world like the gravity of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh but who knows, maybe in some future James Bond movie they'll go to space again or like in Mission Impossible they'll go to space, you know, and like they'll blow our minds and we'll be like why did we ever doubt that they could go to space you know (laughs) that's true well i believe that uh that tom cruise could go to space i don't know about roger moore specifically (laughs) yeah so did you like the opening theme moonraker uh the moonraker theme is pretty good um it's not one of my favorites but i think that it it does a good job and i kind of like the kind of the the animation kind of sequence through there where it's uh it kind of looks more um like extra extra terrestrial uh kind of the way that they're they're doing that you know is kind of that classic james bond where it's like the cut out like images and and things and different color palettes so uh yeah i think that the uh kind of intro theme works here for this one but uh what about what about you what are either some of your favorites or what do you think about uh, moonraker here um so moonraker isn't my favorite uh Shirley Bassey theme like I still think her best work like this might be sacrilege but I prefer Diamonds Are Forever to her Goldfinger I also like The World Is Not Enough you know Live and Let Die Uh, We Have All the Time in the World and Goldeneye those are some of my favorite songs I guess but Moonraker like it's really hard to make a catchy pop or love song you know like called moonraker but they mm. tried and we have to give them props for that so that's right yeah absolutely yeah uh the james bond theme is you know kind of as a, a pivotal point of james bond uh movies as you know anything else within the james bond movie right you think about you know what kind of cool car is he going to have what kind of cool gadgets is james going to have and what is the opening title sequence and theme going to be so i mean like in star wars there's always like the opening crawl like for james bond films it's like the opening song and titles so it's pretty fun you know They kind of have like an opening action scene and then kind of get you into the music with the credits and then kind of like the main gist of the film. A lot of James Bond films, like there's usually like a boat or a submarine or something gets hijacked. But in Moonraker, it's the space shuttle is hijacked midair, you know. (laughs) So yeah, it just it just detaches itself. Uh, it is flying off to uh, to safety, and James Bond is in a very separate plane with very separate people, but uh, gets thrown out of it and uh, has to scrap his way to a parachute to to his own safety, and then yeah, gets gets the movie started there. So it really, it really sets the tone for for what you're going to be getting here. You're you know that this is going to be some sort of over the top uh, nonsensory that's about to come your way, and that is exactly what it is. Yeah, and the. Outside of England, like the first locale, uh, the 
movie treks to is Venice. And what are some highlights you had from Venice? Uh, Venice is a really neat place. It is a, a really fun place to film in and things like that and uh kind of kind of when i'm when i'm watching uh through this section i get a ton of indiana jones and the last crusade vibes uh that was one of my star wars and james bond parallels uh here because i guess steven spielberg is a huge uh, 007 fan so when it came time to uh have you know indiana jones and the last crusade you're gonna gonna hire uh, sean connery to be uh Indiana Jones's father. We're going to go to Venice and and have this big crazy uh, chase through the canals, just like we have in Moonraker here. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just very fun. There's like a glass museum they go to. They point out all the expensive things that are about to get broken. Uh, yeah, Venice and is, they uh, break is them. A, they break them. It's a, it's a it's a lovely place and it's fun. It's always fun to see kind of chases on the on the canal and stuff because Venice is such just an interesting you know place in the in you know europe and in the world so yeah it's beautiful and it's funny because i'm like oh there's the saint mark's clark clock tower um i hope they don't like you know break it and it's like oh <laughs> they they break it you know like not really but like just in the movies but it, it's a beautiful clock tower and i'm surprised you didn't mention the the pigeon doing a double take you know uh <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the crazy pigeon double take actually that's uh that's another uh, Star Wars parallel right there because you have the same kind of thing uh with that Tuscan Raider right where they kind of rock that that frame back and forth if you've watched ever any of the behind the scenes Star Wars stuff how they how they got that you know when he's uh, attacking Luke there um same kind of thing with this pigeon it's not as smooth I will say as the, uh, yeah. the Tuscan Raider uh, rock back and forth but but the pigeon's pretty good there are a lot of pigeons in Venice I can't attest so I guess that makes sense but yeah a uh, uh, very fun section yeah. I've seen some fan edits that fix the pigeon double take, and I'm like, good job, you guys. Then they kind of find, like, in Venice, like, there's the nerve gas that the that Drax is going to release on the world, and then they're like, we're going to go to Rio de Janeiro. And Holly Goodhead, that's, a, that's an Ian Fleming-esque name, <laughs> if I've ever heard one, you know. That's um, right, yeah. yeah she's absolutely. a character in this, so... And she, she is a character in this. She is uh she is a doctor, I believe. Um yeah. which is which is good. She's gonna be very pivotal to to help James kinda get get you know, the the problem with the uh all the all the space stuff uh sorted out later. But uh, yeah, heads to uh Rio de Janeiro to to go there, I guess, to to find out what else Drax has uh going on. Uh there's always the the very fun scene there with jaws and the and the cable car going up the mountain uh that's always uh uh pretty fun because jaws was a really good uh villain and he has a really good uh kind of villain uh end in the story i think cassia yeah it's kind of more like living atonement rather than like death you know he finds love and he decides he wants to eventually he decides like he's not gonna just be a henchman he's gonna you know use the force you know and and choose choose a, a different path you know um, that's right he, ch he chooses the path of love he finds some love there in brazil um yeah maybe brazil is a place for lovers i've never been to brazil uh myself but it, it looks really nice um there as they're kind of hanging out and like we're seeing carnival and there's uh that mountain that they're going to i think is uh sugarloaf mountain i don't remember if that's what they're they call it in the in the movie but 
uh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, it definitely is Sugarloaf Mountain. It It's kind of funny um, because a lot of the places we see in this movie, like, are really far apart from each other. But, like, in the movie, it just makes it seem like it's, like, ten minutes away. But I'm like, you know what? It's a movie where literally James Bond goes to space. So, like, maybe we don't need to, like, plot ding it every five seconds. But, yeah, the the carnival parts did remind me of Black Orpheus, if you've ever seen that. But um, okay. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. But, um. Yeah, car- carnival looks like a like a crazy insane time. I don't know, not for me. I'm not that big on uh, on crowds and stuff, but it definitely looks fun and uh, colorful and uh, vibrant here. So yeah, eventually um, James Bond goes to a pyramid. It's Drax's pyramid, and it kind of I think it's supposed to be a Mayan pyramid, um, which I was kind of like, oh, it reminds me of Yavin Four. Did you kind of have that same reaction? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, kind of traveling along the the Amazon there, get to get to that because I think um, I think Yavin is modeled kind of after uh, was it Guatemala? I think right. Um, mm-hmm. Yavin is so definitely you know kind of that uh, the Mayan influence there. Um, you know, within the kind of the architecture of those uh, pyramids and stuff. So very much looks looks like, and you know, we we see Yavin for obviously and. Uh, Star Wars: A New Hope is, you know, that's where the Rebel Alliance is hiding. So, yeah, kind of not not too surprising, I guess, that maybe we'd see something, you know, kind of similar, um, in telling this story before we we head off to head off to space to our our final space battle, just like in that uh, Star Wars movie. <laughs> Little old Star Wars. What did you think of uh, Drax the villain? Um, I thought Drax the villain was uh, pretty good. So he's played by uh, Michael Lonsdale, who is. Um, an excellent actor he's been in things for forever uh basically so uh, you've probably seen him in a uh, bunch of stuff um uh in- including this but yeah drax is is uh, a really good one kind of a classic uh james bond villain uh you know just kind of kind of wealthy and able to you know spend money to you know <laughs> do do all of the evil things around the world that he wants to do to end the world or uh to end people or whatever but uh yeah i think drax is uh is interesting and certainly uh michael lonsdale is uh, an excellent actor so uh kind of brings some uh some gravitas i think to uh the character a little bit more actually i think that drax is probably the most grounded uh, thing kind of uh within the movie um but uh but i don't know i mean uh you know aside from the idea of having you know your moonraker uh space laser weapon you know that's a little fantastical but yeah i like hugo drax as a as a villain here uh what, what do you think about uh about mr drax and his plans to take over i guess it's good that you kind of point out like he's grounded you know like he's not like a maniacal laughter kind of villain but i at some points i was kind of like is he just kind of like low energy because he's like when he's describing, like, he's going to, like, kill the population of the Earth using nerve gas, like, it was kind of like, to me, he was reading a grocery list. Like, it was a little, like, okay, and you're going to repopulate, you know, like, the world with, like, perfect people um, for a new master race. Like, and it was like, oh, that that's not good. But I just thought it was a little low energy when he was saying that. But no. maybe if it's maybe I would be like, well, actually, when he's explaining his evil plan, he was just a little too, you know, animated when he was saying that. So 
basically right. maybe... maybe I was never gonna be you know into that you know but that's right well I don't know if we're supposed to be into the into the James Bond villains really but uh maybe maybe Drax is a little bit spread thin uh we we were talking you know off air that Drax owns like most of California he owns all these uh, uh famous and fancy things he has his own pyramid he has his own space station uh he's got a lot going on and I really like kind of the kind of in one of the opening scenes there when uh, James and the helicopter pilot who I think it's another weird edit where I think she has like on a headset and then all of a sudden it's gone because I don't know it's messing up her hair I guess I don't know um, but they're talking and uh, James asks her if you know there's anything that Mr. Drax doesn't own and she says something along the lines of if he doesn't own it he doesn't want it or something like that and I thought that that was <laughs> kind of a kind of a neat uh, kind of setup for uh, who this uh, Hugo Drax you know kind of like I said, grounded, but you know, kind of this eccentric uh, billionaire who's able to <laughs> to uh, to go to the moon and uh, shoot space lasers back down to get rid of everyone he doesn't want around. So, James Bond did predict a lot of you know future events unknowingly, but I would say Moonraker isn't just inspired by Star Wars. Uh, I would say like there was this shot that I was like, oh, they're kind of circling and like walking down this hallway in a spacesuit, and I'm like, that's kind of like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, of course, by Stanley Kubrick, who, did you know, he never won an Oscar for Best Director? I I did know that, yeah. Um, uh, which unfortunate. Is, which, is, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, definitely there's a lot of uh, Space Odyssey uh, kind of vibes. I'd have to look and, and see if... Uh, perhaps uh, Space Odyssey was, you know, filmed at the Pinewood Studios as well, because a lot of it looks the same, and a lot of, like, the spacesuits and stuff look uh, very similar to the way they did in 2001, so. Yeah. And then eventually things escalate, and we literally get to see space laser fights. Um, what did you <laughs> yes, think of do. that? Uh, the space laser fight is amazing. It is the peak of cinema. Everything has been downhill uh, ever since then. Um, uh, no, not really. But A, I love the way the space lasers sound. They sound amazing. Uh, Star Wars has its uh, pew-pews. That's pretty good, but not as good as the Moonraker uh, space lasers. It's incredible. Um, and then, yeah, they have this fight, and it, it's almost comical because they go outside, and there's like literally like 100 uh, people in spacesuits like flying around shooting these lasers at each other. It's great. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it's uh, so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like, um, so this is this is what it's like. Okay, 007 <laughs> in space, you know. Um, That's right. Yeah, maybe one day, you know, if wars are ever fought in space, that's what it'll be like. And it's like, why did we ever mock it, you know, but... Um, <laughs> that's right abs absolutely yeah the uh the space station uh goes invisible and you can see everyone fighting it's great great stuff did you think that the part where james bond has to destroy um i forget what he's destroying exactly but is it like the nerve gas containers or something but i was like oh they're destroying the death star did you see that parallel yeah i mean it's kind of you know it's not it's not necessarily you know beat for beat of the same you know kind of the kind of this trench run and things but yeah it's uh, this this big super weapon in space so um in theory it's it's uh it's kind of the same right so maybe he blows it up to to save the day and uh ends up uh you know coming back down to earth in an escape pod uh with his uh with his doctor friend so um 
yeah, I think that there are definitely some parallels there to to the Death Star, and I think you you kind of have to have that, right? We we mentioned the fact that you know Star Wars kind of set the tone for what a big kind of action adventure blockbuster movie was going to do, and you know to have the Death Star, which is kind of you know the pinnacle of um, you know kind of kind of the exciting end you're literally like blowing up a planet uh you know, you know everyone else is kind of left scratching their heads saying well how are we going to have you know this kind of ultimate you know climax to our movie so uh yeah same kind of thing i think yeah and i was kind of like wait wouldn't the doctor be better at like piloting the space shuttle you know or shooting the thing but i guess he's a spy so um he, <laughs> we shouldn't question it that much but yeah. we shouldn't question it yeah that's right uh we shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't question question most things um in uh in james bonds uh for a long time i don't think um yeah yeah probably yeah dr dr goodhead would have been better but i maybe the skate pod it, just, it flies itself mostly you know you're just kind of yeah just kinda keep it, keeping it going i guess so I guess the good news is James Bond and Holly Goodhead make it back to Earth, and so does Jaws and his girlfriend. I forget the girlfriend's name. Is it Dolly, isn't it? Jaws' girlfriend is named Dolly. Oh, oh, Jaws' girlfriend. Yeah, Jaws' girlfriend is Dolly, played by uh, Blanche Revolik. Um, Yeah, and she's great, and Jaws and her are able to find love amongst the insanity of Hugo Drax, so... They'd probably have a really good how did you meet story, you know, and it's like, well, you know, like after a fight, I met him, we went to space for a first date and then we escaped. So it's like, yeah, okay, just give up, you know, like you you can't beat that. But I don't know, like a lot of people like I I give Moonraker about two stars, you know, like Mm, I had mm -hmm. fun watching it. It was a. It was of its time, you know, it was responding to Star Wars, but I kind of had fun watching it, you know? What was your overall impression of Moonraker? Yeah, so it was it was fun going back and watching it again, um, you know, when you asked me to watch it, and um, like I'd mentioned, you know, my my parents were in town so i was watching it again with my dad which was which was fun so it reminded me kind of of those times uh growing up and and watching those and you know at the, at the time i would have watched these i would have been a kid right so it didn't really matter i didn't have the i didn't have the jaded movie brain that i have now to be like well this is terrible that doesn't make sense right it's just it's just a fun time and that's that's ultimately what james bond was was going for you know especially kind of kind of in those you have a couple that are you know a bit more grounded and then you know roger moore and timothy dalton pierce brosnan they're just absolutely just like uh goofball adventure stories right and then you know now they're a little bit more grounded and darker and grittier and and a little bit uh, uh truer tales i guess you know these uh, more recent daniel craig ones but yeah james bond has always just been kind of this fantastical uh you know caricature of what you know a special agent uh might be if you had a license to kill and uh arsenal of uh crazy gadget weapons so yeah to that end i think that you know moonraker is is perfectly fine installment uh within this uh franchise that runs you know close to 30 films deep now at this point 
So I listened to everything you said, but like, did you actually just call yourself jaded? Because like, <laughs> I think you're like the least jaded person I know. So that's well, I try to, I try to, I try to overlook my my jadedness from from time to time. But but you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, when you're watching things <laughs> as a kid, right? Everything everything is fun, right? You're just watching a movie and you're watching it watching it for fun. You're not really dissecting it, you know, per se, or you know, talking about it on a podcast or uh, writing a review of it um, on Letterboxd. You're just kind of watching it, and having some popcorn and having a good time and that's that's kind of what it felt like going back and and watching this again and i think that there's you know james bond is a is a franchise that it, you know just kind of thrives on on that feeling for sure you want to see you know what the cool you know bmw is going to look like and you want to see what kind of crazy darts are going to be in his watch and uh what locations he's going to go to and and moonraker does all those things so yeah i mean i think like roger moore like does have some movies that I, I really love from his tenure as Bond, like, especially, like, The Spy Who Loved Me. Like, uh, it also has, like, probably the best opening scene ever, you know? Mm. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, so I, I won't say what it is in case you haven't seen it, but um, I think I'm not, like, a fan of, like, the overall campy, goofy tone, but, like, kind of, like, maybe after the Daniel Craig movies, like, maybe... We kind of had some dark chocolate there, you know, like, and it was mm-hmm, nice and, mm-hmm. like, of the times. But, like, maybe the next iteration of 007, whatever that is, maybe it'll be more, like, milk chocolate, you know, like, a little bit uh, more fun, you know. Like, who knows? Like, we literally don't know anything, but... Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. right, yeah. The uh, the Daniel Craig, James Bond were, like, an 80% uh, dark cacao uh, chocolates and the the Roger Moore ones are more like a like a Snickers bar, right? So both delicious, but uh, very different. Yeah. So if you saw any parallels in Moonraker to Star Wars that we missed, or like, or any other films, like, let us know what we missed. Like, because it's funny because I was actually like uh, googling like what are some films that kind of like were a knee jerk response to Star Wars and like. I'd mm. never heard of them and like maybe there's a reason I haven't heard of them because they were kind of just like trying to like be Star Wars when they weren't Star Wars you know like mm-hmm. it's good to be inspired by things but like it's good to remember like what kind of story you're trying to tell you know like uh, there's all these different kind of stories you know uh, and it's it's good to be inspired but like remember what makes your story unique you know so yeah absolutely absolutely um and yeah there there were a bunch of like a like i'd said kind of you know these quote-unquote knee-jerk reactions to star wars but you know at the at the end of the day you know that's why something like james bond can can have the the lasting legacy of it well it can you know certainly certainly draw on inspirations from star wars and and maybe even get into a little bit of that cash grab it still kind of stayed true to what a what a james bond film was you know at least for the for the time uh there for for the character obviously so um you know always always good to uh to spread the wings and uh fly but just don't fly too close to the to the star wars sun i think that was the the lesson learned uh there from uh from james bond and and moonraker you know you know cash in cash in while you can but don't don't uh go overboard with it because you might lose the plot a little bit yeah any other thoughts or should we 
Should we close out this mission? No, I just um I just wanted to to make note um uh you know I'd mentioned uh kind of that uh that parallel I saw there with the with the Venice section um I do I do want to stay I think I think that we might have mentioned it back in um our Max Rebo episode with uh when uh Huni was on uh but we both think that uh the Return of the Jedi has basically a James Bond opening, which would make a lot of sense because that was, you know, right in the heart of uh, Indiana Jones and uh, Steven Spielberg and uh, that. So maybe if Moonraker stole from, uh, you know, Star Wars, maybe Star Wars stole from uh, 007 there on that one. So, yeah, Pink Floyd would have done a really excellent, you know, Return of the Jedi theme. It's sad that that never occurred, but... <laughs> that's right the dark side of tatooine for sure <laughs> all right um i guess what did, what did they say to close out 007 movies it's they don't really have like a thing set like may the force be with you wait i know what it is james bond will return mm. yeah Public podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Older Public Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Older Public Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>